Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I'm a search and rescue officer for the US Forest Service and I have some stories to tell. By Search and Rescue Woods, Part 1. I've been an SAR officer for a few years now and along the way I've seen some things that I think that you guys would be interested in. I have a pretty good track record for finding missing people. Most of the time they just wander off the path or slip down a small cliff and they can't find their way back. The majority of them have heard the old stay-where-you-are thing, and they don't wander far. But I've had two cases where that didn't happen. Both bother me a lot, and I use them as motivation to search even harder on the missing persons cases that I get called on. The first was a little boy who was out berry-picking with his parents. He and his sister were together, and both of them went missing around the same time. Their parents lost sight of them for a few seconds, and in that time, both the kids apparently just wandered off. When their parents couldn't find them, they called us and we came out to search the area. We found the daughter pretty quickly, and when we asked her where her brother was, she told us that he'd been taken away by the bear man. She said that he gave her berries and told her to stay quiet, that he wanted her to play with her brother for a while, and the last she saw of her brother... He was riding on the shoulders of the bear man and seemed calm. Of course, our first thought was abduction, but we never found a trace of another human being in that area, and the little girl was also insistent that he wasn't a normal man, but that he was tall and covered in hair like a bear and that he had a weird face. We searched that area for weeks, and it was one of the longest calls I've ever been on, but we never found a single trace of that kid. The other was a young woman who was out hiking with her mum and grandpa. 
According to the mother, her daughter had climbed up a tree to get a better view of the forest and she just never came back down. They waited at the base of the tree for hours, calling her name before they called for help. Again, we searched everywhere and we never found a trace of her. I have no idea where she could have possibly gone because neither her mother or grandpa saw her come down. A few times, I've been out on my own searching with a canine and they've tried to lead me up steep cliffs. Not hills, not even rock faces, but straight sheer cliffs with no possible handholds. It's always baffling and in those cases, we usually find the person on the other side of the cliff or miles away from where the canine has led us. I'm sure that there is an explanation somewhere, but man, it's real strange. One particular sad case involved the recovery of a body. A nine-year-old girl fell down on an embankment and got uh, impaled on a dead tree at the base. It was a complete freak accident, but I'll never forget the sound her mother made when we told her what had happened. She saw the body bag being loaded into the ambulance and she let out the, uh, the most haunting and heartbreaking wail that I've ever heard. It was like her whole life was crashing down around her and a part of her had died with her daughter. I heard from another SAR officer that she ended herself a few weeks after it happened. She just couldn't live with the loss of her daughter. On another occasion, I was teamed up with another SAR officer because we'd received reports of bears in the area. We were looking for a guy who hadn't come home from a climbing trip when he was supposed to and we ended up having to do some serious climbing to get where we figured he'd be. We found him trapped in a small crevice with a, a broken leg and it was not pleasant. He'd been there for almost two days and the leg was very obviously infected. We were able to get him into a chopper and I heard from one of the EMTs that the guy was absolutely inconsolable. He kept talking about how he'd been doing fine and when he got into the top, a man had been there. He said the guy had no climbing equipment and he was wearing a parka and ski pants. He walked up to the guy and when the guy turned around, he said that he had no face. It was just blank and he freaked out and ended up trying to get off the mountain too fast, which is why he'd fallen. He said he could hear the guy all night climbing down the mountain and letting out these horrible muffled screams. And that story bothered the hell out of me and... Man, am I glad that I wasn't there to hear it. One of the scariest things that I've ever had happen to me involved the search for a young woman who'd gotten separated from a hiking group. We were out until late at night because the dogs had picked up her scent. When we found her, she was curled up under a large rotted log. She was missing her shoes and pack and she was clearly in shock. She didn't have any injuries and we were able to just walk her out with us back to the ops. Along the way, she kept looking behind us and asking why that big man with the black eyes was following us. We obviously couldn't see anyone, so we just wrote it off as some sort of weird symptom of shock. But the closer we got to base, the more agitated this woman got. She kept asking me to tell him to stop making faces at her, and at one point, she stopped and turned around and started yelling into the forest, saying that she wanted him to leave her alone. She wasn't going to go with him, she said, and she wouldn't give us to him too. 
We finally got her to keep moving, but we started hearing these really weird noises coming from all around us. It was almost like, like coughing, but more rhythmic and deeper. It was almost insect-like. I uh, don't really know how else to describe it apart from that, but when we were within sight of the base ops, the woman turns to me and her eyes are about as wide as I can imagine a human could open them. She then touches my shoulder and says, he says to tell you to speed up. He doesn't like looking at the scar on your neck. Now, I have a very small scar on the base of my neck, but it's mostly hidden under my collar and I have no idea how this woman saw it. And right after she says it, I hear that weird coughing right in my ear and I just about jumped out of my skin. Well, I hustled her to Rops, trying not to show how freaked out I was, but I have to say that I was really happy when we left the area that night. This next one is probably one of the, the weirdest stories that I have. Now, I don't know if this is true in every SAR unit, but in mine, it's sort of a, an unspoken regular thing that we run into. You can try asking about it with other SA officers, but even if they know what you're talking about, they probably won't say anything about it. In fact, we've been told not to talk about it with our superiors, and at this point, we've just all gotten so used to it that it doesn't even seem weird anymore. So, on just about every case where we're really far into the wilderness, I'm talking like 30 or 40 miles deep, at some point we'll find a, a staircase in the middle of the woods. It's almost like if you, you look at the stairs in your house and just cut them out and put them in the forest. I asked about it the first time I saw them and the officer just told me to not worry about it, that it was normal. Everyone I asked about it too said the same thing and I wanted to go check them out but I was told very emphatically that I should never go near any of them. I just sort of ignore them now when I run into them because, well, it just happens so frequently. Anyway, as far as missing persons go, I'd say about half the calls I get are related to that. The others are rescue calls. The people who fall down cliffs and hurt themselves, get injured by fire. You wouldn't believe how often this happens. Mostly drunk kids, mind you. They get bitten or stung by animals or insects. We're a tight team and we have veterans who are excellent at finding signs of lost people. And that's what makes these cases where we never find any trace of them so frustrating. One in particular was upsetting for all of us because we did find a trace of them but it just led to more questions than answers. An older man had been hiking alone on a, a well-established trail but his wife called to say that he hadn't come home when he should have. Apparently, he had a history of seizures and she was worried that he hadn't taken his medication and had suffered one out on the trail. Before you ask, I have no idea why he thought it was okay to go out alone or why she didn't go with him. I just don't ask about that kind of thing because past a certain point, it really just doesn't matter. Someone is missing and it's my job to find them. So, we went out in a standard search formation and it wasn't long before one of our vets found a sign that the guy had gone off in the trail. We grouped up and followed him, spreading out in a fan to make sure that we were covering as much ground as possible. 
Suddenly, a call comes over the radio telling us to all head back to the vet's location. And we come right away because this usually means the missing person is injured and we need a full team to help them get out safely. We meet back up and the vet is just standing at the base of the tree with his hands on the sides of his head. I ask my buddy what's going on and he points up in the branches of this tree. And I almost couldn't believe what I was seeing. But there's a walking stick dangling from a branch at least 30 feet off the ground. The little strap thing on the handle had been looped around the branch and it's just hanging there. There's no way that the guy could have tossed it up that far. And we don't see any other signs that he's still in the area. We call up into the tree but it's obvious that no one's in it. We're all just sort of left scratching our heads and we keep searching for the guy but we never find him. We even bring our canines out but they lose his scent long before this tree. Eventually the search is just called off because there are other calls that we have to attend to and past a certain point there's not much we can do. The guy's wife called us every day for months asking if we'd found her husband and it was really heartbreaking to hear her get more and more hopeless each time. I'm not sure why this call in particular was so upsetting, but I think it was just the sheer improbability of it. That and the questions that were raised, maybe. I mean, how the hell had this guy's cane ended up there? Did someone kill him and toss it up there as some weird trophy? We did our best to find him, but it was almost like a taunt. We are... We still talk about that one from time to time, too. G'day, mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favor to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's b-i-s-h dot b-u-s-t-a at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. So, missing kids are the most heartbreaking cases for sure. It doesn't matter what circumstances they go missing under, it's never easy and we always, always dread the ones that we find deceased. It's not common, but it does happen. David Paulides talks uh, a lot about kids' SAR teams finding them in places that they shouldn't be or just couldn't be. I can honestly say that I've heard about this kind of thing happening more than I've seen it, but I'll share one of the ones that I think about a lot that I witness personally. A mother and her three kids were out for a picnic in an area of the park that has a small lake. One is six and one is five, and the other is about three, I think. She's watching them all really closely, and according to her, she never lets them out of her sight at any time. She never saw anyone else in the area either, which is important. She packs their stuff up, and they start to head back to the parking area. Now... This lake is only about two miles into the woods, and it's on a very clear established trail, 
it's almost impossible to get lost getting from the parking area to it, in fact, unless you're deliberately going off the path like an imbecile. Her kids are walking in front of her when she hears what sounds like someone coming up the path behind her. She turns around and in the four or so seconds that she's not looking, her five-year-old son just vanishes. She figures that he stepped off the trail to pee or something and she asks the other two where he went. They both tell her that a big man with a scary face came out of the woods next to them, took the kid's hand and took him into the trees. The two remaining kids don't seem upset. In fact, she says later that it seemed like they'd been drugged or something. They're sort of spacey and fuzzy, so of course she freaks out, starts looking frantically in the area for a kid. She's screaming his name and she says at one point that she even thinks that she heard him answer her. Now, obviously, she can't go blindly running into the woods. I mean, she's got the two other kids with her, right? So she calls the police and they send us out immediately. We respond and we start the search for him. Over the course of this search, which spans miles, we just never find a, a single trace of the kid. Canines can't pick up on any scent. We don't find any clothing or broken bushes or literally anything that would signify a child being there. Of course, there's suspicions about the mother for a while, but it's pretty clear that she's completely destroyed by the whole thing. We looked for this kid for weeks with a lot of volunteer help too, but eventually the search just petters out and we just have to move on. The volunteers keep searching though and one day we get a call on the radio letting us know that a body has been found and needs to be recovered. They tell us the location and none of us can believe it. We figure it has to be a different kid but we got out there about 15 miles from the site where he vanished and sure enough we find the body of the kid we're looking for. I've been trying to figure out how this kid got to where he did ever since we found him and I've never come up with an answer. A volunteer just so happened to be in the area because he figured he might as well look in places that no one else would think to on the off chance the body had been dumped or something. He comes to the base of a tall rocky slope and halfway up he sees something. He looks through his binoculars and sure enough it's the body of a little boy stuffed in a, a little opening in the rock. He recognizes the color of the kid's shirt, so he knows right away that it's the missing boy. And that's when he calls it in and we're dispatched. It took us almost an hour to even get to this body, and none of us could believe what we were seeing. Not only was this kid 15 miles from where he started, but there was no possible way that he could have gotten up there on his own. I mean, this slope is truly treacherous, and... It's hard even for us with our climbing gear to get there. A five-year-old boy with absolutely no experience and no gear with him? There was just no way that he ever got up there by himself. Of that, I'm certain. But not only that, the kid, he didn't have a scratch on him. His shoes are gone, but his feet aren't damaged or dirty. So it wasn't as if an animal dragged him up there too. And from what we can tell, he wasn't dead that long. He'd been out there for over a month by that point, and it looked like 
he'd only been dead for, at most, uh, a day or two. The whole thing was unbelievably strange and was one of the most disconcerting calls that I've ever been on. We found out later that the coroner determined that the kid had died from exposure. He'd basically frozen to death, probably late at night, two days before we found him. There were never any suspects and no answers and to date, it's one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen. One of my first jobs as a, a trainee was a search op for a four-year-old kid that had gotten separated from his mum. This was one of those cases where we knew that we were going to find him because the dogs were on a strong scent trail and we saw clear signs that he was in the area. We ended up finding him in a berry patch about half a mile from where he'd been last seen. The kid wasn't even aware that he'd wandered that far. One of the vets brought him back, which I was glad for because I'm really not good with kids, and I find it hard to talk to them and keep them company. As my trainer and I headed back, she decides to take me on a, a detour to show me one of the hotspots where we tend to find missing people. It's a natural dip in the land near a popular trail and people will usually move downhill because it's easier. So we hike out there and it's a few miles away and we get there in about an hour or so. As we're walking around the area and she points out places she's found people in the past, I see something in the distance. Now, this area we're in is about 8 miles from the main parking lot. Though, there are back roads that you can take to get closer if you don't want to hike that far, but we're on state protected land which means that there can't be any kind of commercial or residential development out here. The most you'll ever see is a, a fire tower or makeshift shelter that homeless people think that they can get away with building. But I can see from here that whatever this thing is has straight edges, and if there's one thing you learn quickly, it's that nature rarely makes straight lines. I point it out, but she doesn't say anything. She just hangs back and lets me wander over and check it out. I get within about um, 20 feet of it and all the hair on the back of my neck stands up. It's a, a staircase in the middle of the woods. In the proper context, it would literally be the most benign thing ever. It's just a, a normal staircase with beige carpet and about 10 steps tall. But instead of being in a house where it obviously should be, it's out here in the middle of the woods. The sides aren't carpeted, obviously, and I can see the wood it's made of. It's almost like a video game glitch where the houses had failed to completely load and the stairs are the only things visible. I stand there and it's like my brain is working overtime to try and make sense of what I'm seeing. My trainer comes and stands next to me and she just stands there casually, looking as if it's the least interesting thing in the world. I ask her what the hell this thing is doing here and she just chuckles. <laughs> Get used to it, rookie. You're going to see a lot of them. I start to move closer, but she grabs my arm, hard. I wouldn't do that, she says. Her voice is casual, but her grip is tight, and I just stand there looking at her. You're going to see them all the time out here, but don't go near them, okay? Don't touch them, don't go up them, just ignore them. 
alright? I start to ask her about it, but something in the way that she's looking at me tells me that it's best if I don't. But we end up moving on, and the subject just doesn't come up again for the rest of my training. She was right, though. I'd say about every fifth call that I go on, I end up running across a set of stairs somewhere. Sometimes, they're relatively close to the path, maybe within two or three miles. Sometimes, they're 20 or 30 miles out, literally in the middle of nowhere, and I only find them during the broader searches or training weekends. They're usually in good condition, but sometimes it looks like they've been out there for some time. All different kinds and all different sizes. The biggest I ever saw looked like they came out of a, a turn-of-the-century mansion or something, and were at least 10 feet wide, with steps leading up at least 15 or 20 feet. I've tried talking about it with some people, but they just give me the same response my trainer did. It's normal. Don't worry about it. They're not a big deal, but don't go close to them or up them. When trainees ask me about it now, I give them the same response. I just don't really know what else to tell them. I'm really hoping someday that I can get a better answer, but I have to tell you, it hasn't happened yet. So, this is another one that was less spooky and more sad. A young man went missing late in one winter when, realistically, no one should be going that far out into the trails. We close a lot of them, in fact, but some remain open year-round, unless there's a, a crap load of snow or something. We did an op for him, but we had about six feet of snow on the ground, and it was an unusually heavy snow year, and we knew it wasn't likely that we'd find him until spring when the thaw came. And sure enough, when the first big thaw came... A hiker reported a body a little ways off from the main trail. We found him at the, the base of a tree in a pile of melted snow. I knew right away what had happened and it scared the living crap out of me. Most of you who ski or snowboard or spend any amount of time on a mountain will probably have guessed it too. When snow falls, it doesn't collect as thick in the areas beneath the branches. It happens most with fir trees because... They have a, a sort of closed umbrella shape. And so what you end up with is a, a space around the base of a tree that's filled with a, a mixture of loose, powdery snow, air and branches. And they're called tree wells. And they're not immediately obvious if you don't know what you're looking for. We put up signs in the welcome center. Big ones, in fact. Letting people know how dangerous they are. But every year that we get an unusual amount of snow... At least one person doesn't read them or doesn't take the warning seriously and we find out about it in spring. My best guess is that this young man was hiking and just got tired or maybe a cramp from walking in the deep snow or something. He probably went to go sit at the base of a tree, not knowing that there was a tree well and just fell in. He got stuck with his feet up and the surrounding snow caved in around him. Unable to free himself... He probably just suffocated. It's called snow immersion suffocation and it doesn't usually happen except in really deep snow. But if you get stuck in a weird position, like this guy did, even six feet of snow can be lethal. What scared me the most though was imagining how he must have struggled, upside down in the freezing cold. I mean, he wouldn't have died quickly. 
the snow would have formed a dense, heavy pile on top of him and it would have been literally impossible to get out. As it got harder to breathe, he would have known what was happening. I can't even imagine what he was thinking in those last moments. Anyway, a lot of my uh, less outdoorsy friends want to know if I've ever seen the goat man while I've been out on calls. Unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, I've never had anything quite like that happen. I guess the closest was the whole black-eyed man thing, but I didn't see anything. However, there was one call where I had something kind of similar happen, but I'm not sure I'm willing to chalk it up to the goat man or anything. We got in a report that uh, an older woman had fainted along one of the trails and needed assistance getting back down to the main area. We hike up to where she's at and her husband is just beside himself. He runs, well, I guess more jogs to us and tells us that he was a little ways off the trail looking at something when his wife just starts screaming behind him. He runs back to her and she's just passed out on the trail. We get her on a backboard and as we're getting her down to the welcome center, she comes to and starts screaming again. I calm her down and asked her what the heck happened and I can't remember verbatim what she said but essentially what happened was this. She'd been waiting for her husband when she started hearing this really strange sound. She said that it sounded sort of like a, a cat but it was off somehow and she couldn't quite figure out why. She went a little ahead to try and hear it better and it sounded like it was coming closer. She said the closer it got, the more uneasy she was until she figured out what was wrong. Now, I do remember this next part because it was so weird that I don't think I could ever forget it, even if I tried. Apparently, it wasn't a cat. It was a man saying the word meow over and over, just meowing. But it wasn't a man. It couldn't have been because... I've never heard a man make this voice buzz like that. I thought my hearing aid was going out, but it wasn't. I adjusted it and it still sounded all buzzy. It was awful. He was coming closer, but I couldn't see him. And the closer he got, the more scared I was. And the last thing I remember was a shape coming out of the trees. And I guess that's when I fainted. Now, obviously, I'm a little perplexed as to why a guy would be out in the fucking woods chanting meow meow at people. So, once we get down the mountain, I tell my superior that I'm going to go search the area to see if I can find anything. He gives me the go-ahead and I grab a radio and hike back to where she fainted and I don't see anyone so I keep going about a mile more and when I head back, I go off trail to see if I can figure out where she saw this guy coming from. It's almost sunset by this point and I don't have any desire to be out here at night alone so I just sort of write it off and make a mental note to check it out again tomorrow. But as I'm headed back, I start to hear something in the distance. I stop and call out for anyone in the immediate area to identify themselves. The sound didn't come closer or get louder but... It sounded exactly like a man saying meow in this really odd and monotone way. As comical as it makes it sound, 
it was almost like that guy on South Park with the electrolarynx, Ned. I go off the trail in the direction that I think it's coming from, but I just never seem to get closer. It's almost like it's coming from all directions, too. Eventually, it just sort of fades out, and I ended up going back to the welcome center. I didn't get any further reports like that, and even though I went back to that area, I never heard that exact sound again. I suppose that it could have been some stupid kid out there just fucking with people, but even I have to admit that, man, it was really weird. Anyway, I wanted to get some of the stories that one of my friends told me, and he actually has some good ones, and I'll give them to you guys as, as soon as I can get my hands on them. I also have a few more of my own that I think you guys will like, and I'll share them soon enough, and I'm sorry that I have to keep you guys in suspense, but hopefully the stories here will make up for it and help you get through the next 24 hours until I can uh, share the rest of them. I'll also include some of my friends' stories, and I'll see if I can get a hold of a few more people who might have interesting things to talk about too. I hope you guys enjoyed these stories, and uh, I'll talk to you guys again soon, but I've got to actually head back off to work now, so yeah. Until next time. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.